0: So, I'm going to start by saying something that I think might be a little controversial, but stick with me. I think victims can be some of the most, or can become, some of the most dangerous people on the planet. And that's because being a victim can feel like you have your back to the wall. And in order to get out of that situation, you have to do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. And it's one thing if you're literally in that circumstance, that's what you need to do. When your life is on the line, you need to punch and claw and kick and find your way out of that situation. That's just what it takes. And that's part of connecting to our survival. It's those moments that really, truly, viscerally connect us to our survival. That is a literal physical moment. It gets trickier when we are trying to understand or are experiencing victimhood relative to psychological challenges or trauma. And it gets even trickier when it becomes about culture. For me, I have most definitely have a taken a long time to accept that I have been the victim of psychological trauma, that there have been circumstances growing up that were not only difficult to deal with, but they set the course of my life in a lot of ways. And it's been something that I have openly talked about on this podcast and have had to learn some emotional boundaries about not overly expressing. And I'm realizing how much that continued story pervades my life. And it's not as if that story isn't valid and isn't something that um, is a legitimate challenge or defines myself as a wounded person, but it also is not an excuse to not live my life and not find a way around it. It's like a person who loses their leg you find a way to still live life and it's going to be different than any other person it's going to be different than the typical normal situation but where there's a will there's a way and so in my circumstance i was literally a victim of a psychological situation and now I'm learning what it means to start to change and transform into someone who is the creator of my life. And that means getting support from people around me in terms of of getting a, a coach or my partner helping me or allowing for others to support me in ways that are things that I can't literally do anymore. one of those examples is dyslexia and ADHD. Those are two areas in which that I've been needing for a long time to essentially accept as a part of my experience. And so that effectively means that there is a limit to the amount of writing I can do at once, the amount of reading I can do at once. Uh, I need to have my work proofread (laughs) and, uh, I very much have a limit on sensory intake and executive functioning that needs to be accounted for. Now, it's easy for me to then take that and then like other stories of my emotional trauma stuff, I'm not saying dyslexia and ADHD are a trauma related thing, but those are things that are detriments. They are handicaps, so to speak. Uh, I don't, I know there's like new words. I'm sorry for using handicap, but that's just the word I know. Um, and and so those are detriments. Those are challenges that I have. And so I'm needing to accommodate for those challenges. If I'm going to go forward, the other narrative that I could use and have used <laughs> that you can hear throughout this podcast and, and, and frankly, can kind of hear a lot of people my age dealing with and, and expressing is that other people or external circumstances or jobs or whatever need to accommodate me. <clears throat> and I think there's a degree of truth to that. Like we certainly don't want situations, external systems, etc making it absolutely difficult and inconsiderate of people's various needs. But there are going to be limits to how much those systems are put in place within my lifetime. Like right now, there are a lot more schools who are taking dyslexia into account and teaching kids how to account for it or to notice it sooner and to do some work around it. When I was growing up, especially in the Philadelphia school system, that was just not the thing. That was just not available that was just not the case so i had to learn on my own how to work within my limits and frankly i just double timed it i pushed really hard to try to make it work and i've reached a point in my life right now where uh i'm I'm kind of burnt out like capital b burnt out on pushing The beauty of of things like AI, for example, is that it can help me do these things. I can do a podcast here and then I can throw it through AI and it can make show notes for me. It can make an article for me. I can teach it my voice and be able to create something that would have taken me an Herculean effort to do in a much shorter time frame. That's why I'm able to start to build my substack the way that I am, dopamine.substack.com, D-O-P-E, like, yo, that's dope. And so being able to have um, tools is a way for me to circumvent some of my challenges. It's like someone who lost a leg having access to a prosthetic and essentially what we hope to do is to create more circumstances in which there are more people who have tools available to them, but not everyone does. And so that's the reality of the situation. And so the, 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 the default or the, I guess the um, instinct or the desire can sometimes be to lean in to having been a victim and to keep yelling for help, essentially, until someone comes to save you. But uh, there may not be anyone around. That's the challenge. It, it may not be that someone is there to save you. So if you're in the corner, someone's attacking you, kicking and screaming, uh, at some point, you're gonna have to work your se- yourself out of that situation because someone might not be there to hear you, to help you, to save you. There's this concept called the drama triangle that I think is a very valuable concept. It's uh, relative to codependence. And we all play these roles at some point or have that it's uh, at the bottom of the drama triangle is the victim, and then the top two corners are the hero and the villain. And the victim is dependent on a savior and a villain for a sense of being highlighted or being special as much as it's sounds weird to say when you're in a situation where you're being attacked in a corner, you know, you are special. <laughs> Don't stick with me. You, you are, you are being isolated. You are being, um, pulled from the crowd and in a unique circumstance. And I'm not saying someone would put themselves in that circumstance on purpose in terms of a physical circumstance, but in terms of a more subtle circumstance, in terms of um, uh, a, a mental or psychological trauma, it may be that we keep the status or keep the role of a victim Because there are perks that come along with it. There are perks to the race to the bottom. There can be perks to someone feeding you money or resources or being there to always feed you and take care of you or to do all of the things for you. I think many people, if they had their way, would just let someone else, give them everything that they needed, if it meant sacrificing some of their psychology, some of their worldviews, some of their values, some of their uh, self-sovereignty and identity. They give all of that up if it meant that someone would just give them everything they wanted. And that's what freaks me out. That, That scares me in a big picture sense. But I also get it, (laughs) because I think I would love, and I'm saying that I recognize that in myself, like I would love more than anything for just like a check to show up at my door, even more so, I would love for just vegetables to show up at my door uh, without having to pay for them, for someone to cook my meals, for someone to just like put a book in front of my face, for someone to feed me, for someone to change me. For someone to provide me with pleasure, right? Like to not have to literally do anything. I think for a lot of people, if you describe scenarios like that, they'd be like, that sounds fantastic. I just want my life accommodated for and taken care of. And I, I think a lot of people would say yes. <laughs> and if you don't say yes, then, you know, that's cool too. Um, I think there's the other side of that, which is, you know, perpetually uh, repressing the idea that you might be a victim or repressing the idea that uh, you also get some sort of, or or like avoiding avoiding the idea of being a victim. Because like I said, we all oscillate between these roles. And so like not identifying with ever having been a victim anywhere is just as bad as over-identifying with being a victim. In, in my eyes. I'm highlighting the idea that being a victim and perpetuating the victim narrative can be dangerous because, again, with the idea of being backed into a corner, you have to do whatever it takes to get out of it. And at the same time, you're psychologically vulnerable to anyone coming up and saving you and saying, Haha, I saved you. You owe me your life now. Or someone who is uh showing up as a villain and you know the person who's already attacking you they're clearly the villain in this situation and now you might go through life saying that anyone that looks like that person or smells like that person or moves like that person or dark alleyways or that city or that part of town or anything like that becomes associated with the villain and therefore becomes associated with danger. And if you take on the, the villain uh, role mixed with the victim role, you can then become a villain yourself and start to persecute people and create victims yourself in an effort to not face your own victim situation. Right? There's a certain acceptance that comes from having been a victim that also means eventually letting it go and you know for me recently i keep using kind of the extreme example of the the physical attack but i i think ultimately many of us are dealing with psychological versions of it in our modern world and and the psychological may be also connected to having experienced a physical attack that at some point there is a process like therapy helps with eventually letting go that's really what therapy is is eventually processing something through, understanding all of the nuances of the situation of what happened, how to move forward through it, and how to heal traumas. Like healing is often a letting go of process. And so letting go is much more difficult psychologically than it is literally. Literally, you just let go. You release your muscles and you let go of the grasp on the situation. It's the same thing psychologically. You let go of, you loosen your muscles and you let go of the situation. You just stop focusing on it. And um, I say it easily. It's not easy for me. I've been noticing situations lately where I'm trying to let go of emotional urgency. I have both a savior complex mixed with victimhood a little bit. I have developed a relationship to being someone who gives advice like I do here on this (laughs) podcast. I've developed a relationship to being a someone who is trying to calm a situation or trying to satiate people's emotional needs so that everything's okay right? So I see victims everywhere, basically, when they're experiencing emotional distress. And so I feel this need to step in and help. And I realize that there is a motivation in there, a personal self-focused motivation in there to just make it stop because emotional distress is not good for my brain. As an INTP, uh, having INTP preferences in the Myers-Briggs system, I'm a thinking dominant person, any kind of emotional whatever, clouds, my thinking, and I just don't like it. It's, it's frustrating. I don't, it's not the water I swim in. So when there is emotional distress, I'm, I'm urged to resolve it as quickly as possible possible. And I usually try to resolve it with a thinking tone (laughs) with some sort of logic or some sort of assertiveness. And that usually doesn't work in the situation. Uh, The challenge there is, again, it's the motivation. It's the self-focused motivation to make it stop. And so for me, I'm learning a lot about emotional boundaries. And I've been making the rookie mistake lately of trying to make boundaries about how other people are behaving, right? It's, It's turning the people around me into villains who are bringing emotions into the situation and they need to stop. They need to stop having a human experience. They need to stop having wants, right? They need to stop X, Y, and Z. It's like the person who's getting attacked in the corner can develop a crusade of stopping all crime. That's as if to say, like, I need to stop all human impulse. That's just an impossibility. You can create circumstances and situations that improve scenarios in which someone may not need to commit a crime, but you cannot stop human impulse. I cannot stop human emotion. (laughs) What I can stop or what I can change is my response to the situation. And that's me stepping out of the victim mentality where things are happening to me. That's the attachment to the victim side and start to see it as a situation unfolding in front of me. And I have a choice to let go of the situation and to say that, if this keeps happening, then I need to make the choice to go in a different direction. I need to go somewhere else. I need to change my behavior, right? Some would interpret that as blaming the victim. I'm not saying necessarily that that's the case. I'm not saying that the victim is someone who is responsible for not getting attacked to some degree. Yes. Like if you get attacked physically, In a situation, there's a degree of cautiousness that shows up and a certain alertness and being more adaptable to a situation. That's if the reason you got attacked before is because you were naive. Psychologically speaking, as kids, we are just more naive. So we are more prone to someone taking advantage of us. And because of that, you then learn a hypervigilance to not be taken advantage of. The thing that changes when you get older is the fact that you are older you are more sovereign you have more choices you are able to be more independent so you are not needing to be hyper vigilant around situations that you needed to be hyper vigilant around before and so what i need to not do is make my victimhood into something where i create more victims where i'm shutting down my kids emotions or i'm shutting down my wife's emotions because i don't have the capacity to handle it when what i need to do is i need to say that's my limit i need to go somewhere else and it's not about making them stop it's about me setting the boundary and saying that's my limit and it's not about again having them stop it's like it's stopping towards me. You can go do whatever you want <laughs> elsewhere. You could talk to each other. You can go call a friend. You can go do something else. But this is the limit of where I go. This is the limit of where I stand. This is the boundary. And so, again, the rookie mistake that I made was trying to calm everyone's emotions. Like, what I get overwhelmed by is like, I can typically handle singular collective very easy to digest emotions i have a playlist that i created called break and break in case of baby fe which is a technical term for the inferior function of an intp extroverted feeling it's about harmony it's about connectedness and, and relationships and things like that and because it's my inferior function it's just something i don't access very often and i i know that i can't do very well so I have this playlist that has like different songs that are just kind of easy. They're, they're almost like like poppy, sing-songy, easy to sing along to, easy to understand, usually a singular emotion, not complex woven emotions or anything like that. It's not Florence and the Machine. <laughs> it's more like, um, uh, I wouldn't even say Lady Gaga, but it's like maybe more Harry Styles, like something that's simple to to comprehend. And so I will go and refill my cup with listening to that music. Uh, if you're an INTP listening, I've created access to that through a program called Break in Case of Emotions. <laughs> it's in my my Udemy, uh, Udemy page, which I'll have linked in the description. And so when my family, they all have their own individual emotional experiences. We all do but they are more willing to express themselves individually and they're not trying to harmonize. They're not trying to do the harmony thing. They're like different instruments playing different tunes all at the same time. They're more of a jazz band (laughs) emotionally. So, you know, there's a certain beauty to that, but then at the same time when I'm depleted and I don't have the capacity to like, you know, pull out the different instruments in my mind. And especially when they're all aimed at me, it's, it's something where like, I just reach a capacity very fast. And so my instinct has been to like, try to resolve everyone's needs is to say like, okay, the boy needs this, and I'm going to have him focus and go in this direction. The girls needs this, you need to stop doing this, you need to listen, you need to blah, 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 right? Like, trying to course correct everyone. And then the same thing with my wife, she's an ENFP, she has this tendency to like, just talk as if if everyone's listening. I love her for it. It's the most endearing, beautiful thing. But when everyone else is also doing a version of that, it's overwhelming. So again, the rookie mistake is that I tried to get everyone else to like change their tune when really it's like, I need to go listen to something else (laughs) And, uh, and be okay with the consequence of that, right? People aren't gonna like the fact that boundaries exist. No one does even my wife who has been with me on this journey of personal growth and developing new boundaries, like some of those boundaries are going to be with her. And I've noticed a traumatic history that I've had around fawning over emotional needs. Again, it's part of that savior complex. I need to solve this. I need to help here. And so what I'm needing to shift and change is Being less invested in the outcome, meaning that if I'm going to support, I'm going to support in a coaching role, which means that I have to have the capacity for it. I have to have the resource. I have to be available. I have to have the skills and expertise to even be helpful and to uh, not be attached to what happens next because everyone is a sovereign human being and they need to make their choices. And I also need to make my choices. So with the drama triangle, it shifts from hero, victim, and villain to creator, coach, and challenger, right? So it's changing these energies from a codependent energy into an independent energy. For the victim, in terms of my case, kind of mostly playing in this savior and victim role, though I've definitely been a villain in plenty of circumstances, The shift is into this coach role, especially with my kids. It's like being more of a guide, being more of a coach, being more of a a supporter and less of a savior, less of a, you need to do this because my sense of self as a father is depending on it, (laughs) you know, and then switching the victim role into creator role where I'm not just the victim of everyone playing their emotional jazz at me. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but I am sovereign. I have my own choices. I have my own expressions. I have my own needs. And then as a creator, I can pick myself up and I can go do something else, right? In the sense of, of the, the victim in a literal fight situation, that's the fighting back. And then like the creating your own circumstances, like, okay, well, maybe now I need to carry pepper spray. Now I need to be not necessarily hypervigilant with the same exact circumstance, but how do I level myself up? What is my version of getting a prosthetic for my broken, missing leg? You know, and that means psychologically. For me, it's AI with my dyslexia and my ADHD. What are the tools that I can use to help support me to grow and develop? sometimes that's a coach. I've been working with my friend Elise, who is a fantastic Jungian coach and uh, for the last six weeks. And she's been absolutely brilliant in supporting me to, uh, to release some of this victim narrative and to like move forward in my life. And, uh, and she's just brilliant. I'll drop a link to her stuff in the comments as well in the description. So the focus here is on the the victim idea and that even though, yeah, you could identify like a connection between the victim and different areas. I think it's like attuning to where you were a victim in your life. Um, obviously, there are situations where you've been a victim, but specifically, how are you still, how are you not letting go of it? You know, and it may not be something you can totally suss out on your own. You may need help from a therapist. And that's part of what I've been I guess preaching on this podcast for a few hundred episodes now is that like mental health and wellness is, it it, it is about us and getting our help that we need. Right. So as much as I do need help, I am legitimately a victim of, of psychological trauma and childhood challenges. And It is my job to find the help that I need. It is my job to communicate my needs. It is my job to find the tools that I need to make my life a a better experience. Or if the tools don't exist, how can I create them? Or how can I support someone who can create them? Or, you know, I'm basically making my life better through participating in it. The challenge and fear that I see happening is that there is a lot of submission. And I find that there is this beautiful dance that creates self-love, that creates flow for people. And it's this balance between discipline and surrender. Discipline being a disciple for the self. It's devoted to yourself. It's saying that, like, these are things that I need, so I need to go get them. I need to work, I need to make money, I need to eat, I need love, I need love, I need support. I need I need I need I need. <laughs> and and wants are important too. But it's it's creating the discipline to be able to go do those things. The extreme of that is hypervigilance. It's being so focused on discipline and regimen and precision that you take all of the Emotion out of the situation, or you know, you're, you become rigid, and the, the rigidity is not the point of discipline. Discipline is actually allowing for flexibility, and so it may not mean uh, being going to the extremes of a diet plan, for example, but it might mean having the discipline to eat better, to feel better, to get good sleep. And to not be so inundated with your own uh, emotional challenges all the time, and to get help and therapy, and like I said, like taking the creative lead in your life. And then the other side of that is surrender, and it is flow, it is ease, it is faith, trust, uh, allowing for help and support and guidance. It is. Breathing. It is ease. It is enoughness. The other side of that, the extreme of that, I should say, is submission. It is completely surrendering to no pressure at all. It is, like I gave early on, it's this idea that I am willing to submit myself to someone who is going to feed me and clothe me and drive me around and take care of me to the point where I sacrifice having individual values. I sacrifice having an identity. I sacrifice having my own thoughts. I sacrifice my own sovereignty of actions. I sacrifice the point of being alive, which is to like, have agency. So submission is not quite that, (laughs) or or I should say surrender is not quite that. Submission is full on giving yourself up for the sake of things being as easy as possible. And then discipline and the subsequent hypervigilance is always being on edge. Finding that middle ground of discipline and surrender, that is the beauty of life. That is finding a flow of being a creator, being a coach, being a challenger, you're developing skills and expertise. You are developing your own thought process. You are taking responsibility for what you take in mentally and emotionally. You are taking responsibility for the boundaries you set. You are taking responsibility for your healing and growth. You are taking responsibility for the tools that you find to help and support you. You are taking responsibility for the story of your life, and not letting it be something that is just happening to you, but happening because of you. And your life's karma and experience is something that you just accept. There's an acceptance that this is who I am, this is my circumstance, this is my situation. You don't fall into the fantasy of idealism, and wishing and hoping. You are here You are, you are being, you are present. You are a human being, someone who is able to witness and be witnessed. And in that, you are flowing with life. You're not holding on to being a victim. You're not holding on to being a savior. You're not holding on to being a villain. My favorite definition of codependence is, I won't call you out on your shit if you don't call me out on mine. And so if you feel like you're in a circumstance or situation where your relationships, your friendships, your partnership, your work relationships are not allowing for that kind of flexibility and responsibility and people willing to go forward through conflict. Again, for example, like when you're trying to move out of a victim perspective or place, you might need to have more conflict because expressing your needs and setting boundaries is going to incite more conflict. Peace takes a lot of work. Peace I think is actually futile. Peace is like not something I think is worth striving towards. I think flexibility and adaptability is what's worth striving towards. Survival of the fittest is not about strength and it's not about the opposite, which is just like not having to exert any strength at all. It's adaptability. It's using the right muscles at the right time. It's being flexible to the situation, to the context, to the person, to your emotions, to their emotions, to your needs, to their needs, to what is happening. And that's the work that we do when we're doing personal growth work and we're trying to understand ourselves and we're trying to do some self-coaching. The work is all of these little tiny nuances and nodes, almost like TV static, to which we're trying to piece together an image of what reality actually is. What is it that we're experiencing? And then accepting that experience. I'm experiencing executive functioning challenges. We call it ADHD. We call it dyslexia. We have these words for these things. But what you really need to look at is what the thing is. Sometimes we get attached to those words, and then we look them up and we're like, oh, I have that too. I have that too. Well, that may not be the case. You're using other referencing versus self-referencing. What is happening for you? And through that, I think you can start to develop a better understanding of where you need to go, what you need, and how to be adaptable. So I just saw my wife coming in with the groceries, so I'm going to have to stop. But I appreciate you for listening. Dopamine.substack.com, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E, like yo, that's dope. And uh, for you subscribe for more articles, mental health, spirituality and transformation, psychological models, and uh, I have a new section called the Spiral where I talk about major developmental models and stuff like that. So, I'm Christian Rivera. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Let me know in the comments below what your thoughts are, where you fit into this victim idea, and how what you're doing to have some self sovereignty and self agency. So. With that being said, I appreciate you and I'll catch you in the next episode. Later.